preachers are weary, the singers are tired, the church as we know it is losing its fire. Some are discouraged from bearing the load, but we must determine to keep pressing on. Cause if just one more soul were to walk down the aisle, it would be worth every struggle, it would be worth every mile, a lifetime of labor is still worth it all, if it rescues just one more soul. So preachers keep preaching and singers go sing. Laymen keep sharing that Jesus is King. The angels have gathered, they're surrounding the throne. And they'll start rejoicing for just one more soul. Cause if just one more soul were to walk down the aisle, it would be worth every struggle, it would be worth every mile. A lifetime of labor is still worth it all if it rescues just one more soul. If just one more soul were to walk down the aisle, it would be worth every struggle, it would be worth every mile. A lifetime of labor is still worth it all if it rescues just one more soul. A lifetime. It's still worth it all if it rescues just one more soul. All right, let's take our Bibles today and turn over to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Why'd Tony go out with a prune? Because he couldn't find a date. <clears throat> the single said I had to share a couple of these. They said they were just, I mean, over the top good. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Did you hear the one about the geologist? Oh, he took his wife for granted and she left him. <laughs> yeah, that was one. They liked that one. Okay. What did the man say to the wall? One more crack like that and I'll plaster you. <laughs> and finally, we've saved the best for last. Why did the traffic light turn red? You would too if you had to change in the middle of the street. <laughs> 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 
They said I had to share that one for sure. <clears throat> All right, Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. The Bible simply says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake, became as dead men. The angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. What a tremendous passage that is. I love that passage or that verse in verse 6. He's not here, for he is risen, as he said. Over in the book of Revelation, we also read in verse 18, the Bible says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Well, isn't that something? You know what I found in life and what I find day to day as I travel in this world like you do <clears throat> is that it seems that we're trying to breed life from dead things. We're trying to get life from something that's dead. And you know, if you want life, you have to get it from something that's living. And that thing which is living, that person which is living, is none other than Jesus Christ. You know, our culture is ravaged by drugs and alcohol and various addictions. All we need to do is look at the newspapers or watch the, the look on the internet or see the, the news or possibly watch one of these shows about the rich and the famous. Program after program seems to exist to overcome these vices that exist in the lives of each or so many of Americans today. There are so many different programs available that it's really kind of hard to determine which one you should choose even at times. I mean, they're just multitudes and multitudes of these types of programs. Most offer the same things, mind you, though. Detox, various treatments, intervention, maybe a variety of support groups. And again, there are a number of other programs that maybe you could follow as well. I mean, you have a multiple, multiple books. You have a number of magazines. You have self-help sources. Now we have the Internet, of course, where we can get online and look up things to try to find help for our particular ailments or hurts or possibly vices. And then, of course, there are those TV therapists, you know, those psychologists, those counselors that are on TV now. Each of the sources that we have mentioned, though, can only help so far, can only do so much. And I'll admit that at times, um, even a Dr. Phil or somebody like that will say something that can be helpful. I'm not going to sit here and say that they have nothing to offer and that they serve no purpose. And, but let me say they come short of what God and His Word intend for the believer today. See, programs change behavior, but not the man. Books, magazines, and self-help sources change thinking but not the heart. No therapist, psychologist, or counselor can possibly resurrect a life. They can only empower people with particular tools and methods at their disposal. They can only suggest ways in which we can cope with the problem, but neither their methods 
or their procedures can truly produce real life and bring the kind of change that only Jesus Christ can. In short, (laughs) these sources are dead. They're dead. But they'll promise you life. They'll promise you hope. But in reality, they're dead. See, you'll never really find the answers that you truly seek in life. You'll never find the lasting change that you desire or the power that you need to accomplish that change except in a living source. Life breeds life. To attempt to bring permanent change from a temporal source is a losing battle. If you pick up a dead possum off the side of the road and you put it in a cage for a year, at the end of that year, guess what you'll find? A dead and decayed possum. Okay, go ahead and throw a possum in the cage that's alive and well and doing fine. I mean, even put food and water in the cage now. As a matter of fact, you can even dim the lights and play soft music every evening. Do that for even a year. You'll go back in a year and you know what you'll find? One dead possum and one other possum. I don't know. After that treatment, I don't know what would be the case. But nonetheless, the fact is there would be no little ones running around. Because, see, life breeds life. And may I say to you today that as believers, we're looking for life. But we will not find it in anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ. Again, Americans are spending billions and billions and billions of dollars every year to to be empowered with the latest techniques and methods and procedures which will better the standard of living and empower us to live a more productive lifestyle. But those techniques, methods, and procedures alone will never get the job done because we're trying to resurrect life from death. It'll not be a mere program that you'll find deliverance from or be able to find deliverance from your vice from it's going to be Jesus Christ John 14 6 says Jesus saith unto him I am the way the truth and you know what it says the life no man cometh unto the father but by me see Jesus is the life he is life and he alone rose from the dead we saw that in our passage today already He's not here, for He's risen, as He said. He is alive today. But not only that, not only is Jesus clearly the life, but I want you to notice another, I mean, fascinating truth about Christ as well. Take your Bible, turn over the book of John, please, chapter 1. A fascinating truth. Just amazing. John chapter 1. The Bible says, beginning in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. I want you to see again very quickly, the Word was with God and the Word was God. 
So the Word and God are synonymous then. They're the same. You can't really breathe the name of God without truly breathing the, the Word of God. I mean, He and the Word are one. Notice in John 1.14 now. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Well, that's interesting. Now, the Word we know, according to John 1, is God. And the Bible says the Word was made flesh, which means God was made flesh. And so he goes on to describe it and says, We beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. We have the Word, but then it turns into He. We have Jesus Christ then, who is the Word of God. I mean, we have Christ, the written Word, here. Now again, we take the Word of God somewhat for granted at times. We look at the Bible and we say it's a book. It has words in it, sentences, paragraphs. It has other things there. And we, we can see it. It's in black and white. We have punctuation and the English language and all that. But let me tell you something. This book is alive today because this book is none other than Christ Himself. Amen. I mean, you've you got to wonder, is it any wonder... Is it any wonder that the first frontal assault that Satan made in this world was made in the Garden of Eden against the Word of God? Isn't it any wonder? See, Satan is at battle with Jesus Christ. He is at battle with the God who created all things. Therefore, he's going to attack God himself, the Word. And so in the Garden, he says, Yea, hath God said... Isn't that something? He seeks to cast doubt on the Word. He even attempts to change the Word of God later on in that passage. So i got to believe that he's probably still attacking the Lord Jesus by trying to change His Word today. By trying to get the Word of God out of the hands of people. Trying to discard the book, the Word of God. He tries to take it out of the schools. He tries to take it out of our government. He tries to take it out of our homes. He tries to take it out of our hearts. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the Word of God. Amen. What a sad state of affairs it is then. When we have so-called... Men of God who claim that the Bible they hold in their hands is sprinkled with error. Oh, we have a Bible today, brethren. But it's only 97% correct. 97.9, 98.3 maybe, maybe even 99. Even if someone said 99.9, which they won't, Correct or true or accurate. How sad is that? When you consider that this is not just a book that was written, it is a person that lives and his name is Jesus Christ. And last I checked, if I don't have a perfect Savior, I don't have one at all. How tragic is it when they write their books and preach their sermons condemning the Bible as a book of error? I don't know about you, but I'm holding a living book in my hand today. I'm holding a perfect book, an infallible book, an inerrant book, an inspired book. Right here it is. Jesus Christ today is without question alive and well. He is life, according to John 4, 14, 6. 
And therefore, so is his word, alive. I want you to note the ringing endorsement of our Lord in John 6, 63, concerning the word of God. He says, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. Hear it now, here it is. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Isn't that good? Their life. I don't know what you're bound by. I don't know what you're dealing with. But what I do know is, is that the Word of God is alive today. And I want you to know that if you're trying to dig out of that hole in which you're in, I want you to understand you're not going to do it by going to dead things. You've got to go to something, someone that's alive. And the Word of God is Jesus Christ. And He lives today. If you're in need of life or hope or help, encouragement or strength, you'll find it in Christ and His Word because they're life and life breeds life. This morning I want to take just a couple minutes that we have left and I want to make just a few simple applications. I probably won't get through all of the points that I have. We'll get through what we can this morning and that'll be good enough and the Lord will bless it because He knows ahead of time what we need. First of all, let's pray and then we'll continue. Father, bless us now this time of preaching and teaching. May your word, Father, truly be blessed as it is empowered. It's a powerful book. It's a living book. This is you, Lord Jesus, as we drink you in, as we allow you to saturate our hearts and lives. May your Holy Spirit take this precious word and drive it home in our lives. Make it so real and alive to us. May we not for any moment take it for granted today. Help us, Lord, now if there may be those in this place that are struggling, that are having difficult times, whose hearts are heavy, Lord, whose lives are bound. Lord, may you help us to remember and to be reminded always that life breeds life. And not only is our Savior alive, but his word is alive because he and it are one in the same. We just need to find the answers from your book, a living book. And allow you to have your way in our life and to bring us great hope and help. We love you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want you to know that Christ can resurrect a marriage. We see there in the garden that when, when they went there to, uh, to the tomb, I should say, when Mary and the other Mary went, they, they went looking for Christ. But when they arrived, he wasn't there. He was alive. He was alive. He was resurrected. And I want you to know that the Lord, because He lives, and the Word of God, because it's alive, can resurrect your marriage. Oh, I know today we, we look over the crowd and everyone looks so nice and we're dressed up nice and we look sharp and just so sweet and kind and comfortable. But the reality is, is that underneath these clothes that we wear and inside the flesh that we bear are hearts. And many times hearts can be heavy and many times relationships even can be strained. And maybe even on the way to church, you found that you were fighting and bickering and going at it even as you arrived here today. And you put on your smile and you walk in the door. Hi, brother, how are you? I'm fine today. How are you? 
And I mean we ought to. You don't bear your problems. You don't carry them on your sleeve. You don't let everybody know. I mean, fake it till you make it kind of attitude is good. But there comes a point we have to face reality and we have to look at things straight in the eye and we have to go ahead and deal with a problem. And maybe today your relationship with your wife or husband isn't what it ought to be. And maybe you've not given it as much effort as you should. Or maybe you've not found a way or a solution by which to deal with it and to cope with it and to, to be helped with it. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is still the answer. That the word of God is still true. That life breeds life. And if you have an issue in your marriage, if you need it resurrected, if you need it to have a shot in the arm, so to speak, you'll find it in the word of God. Oh, you can turn on the television and you can listen to the doctors on TV. And you can turn to the newspaper, magazines, and the internet for self-help. You can do all of those things. But listen, life breeds life. And if you truly want change in your marriage, if you really want something to happen that will be not just for this week or next week, but for the whole life of your marriage, then it starts here in this book, the Word of God. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. We want someone, anyone to build our house, but often we fail to go to the one who can, the Lord Jesus Christ. It starts there. And someone says, a home, I want a peaceful home. Well, it starts with a peaceful marriage. It starts with that relationship. That is the most foundational relationship that the Lord has for us. As far as relationships as marriage. Marriage or relationships are His specialty. I mean, the building blocks of a very strong and healthy marriage are found in the living Word. And you know what? You're never really going to have that strong stable relationship that you desire, that you want, if you are seeking a foundation that is crumbling or you're trying to place it on a wavering foundation. See, the world's ideals, attitudes, and beliefs are always evolving and changing. It's never the same. I mean, look, we can't even, we can't even agree on what the definition of marriage is today. It wasn't that long ago we actually, in our nation, our country, had a law that identified and, and targeted what marriage was. It was between a man and a woman. Now they've changed their position on marriage. Now they say it doesn't matter. You can, you know, two guys can get married or two women can get married. And pretty soon you could be able to marry your dog probably. And you may laugh at that, but let me tell you something. If marriage is not is a fundamental right they claim guaranteed by the Constitution and it's not defined by the Word of God, then who decides who you can and can't marry? It's funny. Where does it end? You and I both probably can't even conceive where it ultimately ends. And yet the fact is, is today is that God has a book. It's the Word of God and it's a living book. And He tells us that there is a foundation by which we can build things. The truth is, is that the foundation that the world builds upon is ever shifting. It's causing, and therefore it's causing it to crumble and it's causing it to disintegrate. And is it any wonder that marriages are falling apart today as we build on this sinking sand? Our young people grow up and have very few good examples of what a biblical marriage is today. They grow up with the media bombarding them with these new ideas and ideologies and philosophies. And they make them feel as if they don't embrace them. Then they're the oddball. They're the man out. They're the one that's intolerant. And they're the one that's so angry at the world. And they're the one that hates people and doesn't understand 
But the bottom line is that the Word of God is true. It is truth. And it's an unchanging foundation. And if you will build your marriage on an unchanging foundation, you will always have solid footing. In the United States, 49% of marriages end in divorce. Although 82% of all married couples will reach their fifth wedding anniversary, only 52% will celebrate 15 years of marriage. That makes the median duration of a first marriage that ends in divorce slightly less than eight years. That means when you take the, the, you know, the total, how many years people were married and then they were divorced, if you, you take the median, you put them all together, you divide it up, it comes to just a little under eight years that marriages last. That's pretty sad, isn't it? Sadly enough, the worst part of it is, is that it's not much different, if any, in the church today. A very interesting statistic is found in the Associated Press when it states, the divorce rate in 2005 was the lowest rate since 1970. You say, that's pretty encouraging. It was down from 2000, actually. The peak divorce rate was in 1981. That's when it was at its highest, the divorce rate. But hold on a second. Statistics can be misleading, can't they? See, what they fail to reflect is the growing number of people who no longer get married but simply live together. So instead of being married, they're not married. It doesn't say that their relationships continue. As a matter of fact, it's even more unstable than a marriage relationship. There's no commitment there. So in reality, our relationships in America are more unstable today than they've ever been. I mean, the population rises, but the divorce rate declines. That doesn't seem too right to me when our world and morality seem to be changing in a negative way continually. The fact is, is that fewer people are being married then. And that is a legitimate fact. It's just spot on. But what's the problem? We don't have a foundation. We don't have, we're not building on life. We're taking the advice of man instead of the advice of God. If your marriage is struggling, you need to isolate the Word of God, identify the Word of God, and you need to invest in the Word of God and ultimately allow God's Word in you. You want to revitalize your marriage, you need to turn to Jesus Christ and the living Word. John 6, 63 again. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. You're going to be remain frustrated in your relationship. And it won't last forever. It happens all the time to me. They walk into the office, sit across the desk, and one or the other says, I'm done. I get so sick of those two words. It's actually, it, I'm is really two words, so it could be three. I'm done. And I just want to go, I'm sick of hearing that. Because you know what they basically just said to me? I've been dealing with this for this long and have done nothing about it but deal with it. You haven't been dealing with it. You've just been covering it up. You've just been going through the motions I get tired. I just didn't want to fight about it no more. I've just, been, I've just been two years I've been putting up with this crap, and I'm done. And sometimes they use other words in that. And I, th- I say, we don't talk like that here. 
I'm talking about church members, by you. And that's why they're where they're at anyway, by the way. Because they don't know how to deal with their mouth, first of all. And they haven't done anything with their heart probably for a while. Now listen to me. Don't get there. Just don't get there. Face your problems head on. You got an issue, face it head on. Get help before you're done. But let me tell you, if you're looking for any help and it isn't incorporating the Word of God, then I'm going to tell you something. Don't expect it to turn out good. Oh, it may temporarily put a patch over the problem. You might be able to change your husband from being a man. And he may cry like a woman. And he may get around a circle with a bunch of other guys and go, Kumbaya, my Lord. I'm so sensitive now. I've gotten in contact with my inner woman. The stupid stuff that goes around in psychology today. I'm talking about, hey, you may be able to change him for a period of time. He may say, well, just to keep her around, I'll do that. And he doesn't need that change. He needs permanent change, and he needs biblical change. And not only that, but you do too. Both men and women, husbands and wives, we need to be what God wants us to be. We need to get a hold of the Lord. We need to identify His system. We need to understand that He has some, he has some rules and regulations by which to function. He has some um, roles even that women ought to have and roles that men ought to enforce in their lives. There's some difference between men and women women in the, in the Bible. I mean, it's just the way it is. It's funny how the world keeps trying to change that. The world keeps trying to say, um, you're just like him and he's just like you. And you know what the truth is? You go, what? That makes no sense. I know that's not true. But I guess you have a Ph.D. in front of your name, and you're a psychiatrist or psychologist. You're a very learned, educated person, so I guess maybe you're right. There shouldn't be any difference. So even though I know there's a difference, we better work hard to make sure there isn't. And that's what our culture is doing today. If I, I'm telling you what, if I see one more show when a woman beats up a man, I'm, I feel like jumping off a cliff. I mean, I, I saw, I don't know what it was, a commercial or something the other day, and, 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 and I'm watching this thing, and this lady's like, wow, wow, wow. She's swinging all around, beating up all these guys. And I thought to myself, what a joke. There's probably one woman in probably a million that could even come close to that. That's not what women are like. If my wife could beat me up, I'd divorce her today. <laughs> and I'd have biblical grounds. And if I didn't, I'd put my own little section in the Bible or something, but I wouldn't, that, forget that. Are you kidding me? But the world's trying to tell us there's no difference, and now they're even trying to elevate that. I mean, the other day I saw uh, on the news that uh, uh, there was a woman that knocked out a professional boxer. Yeah, I don't know. They must have been at a bar or something. I don't know. I didn't read the whole article. But it said, this said, woman knocked out professional fighter. Why did they put that in the news? I'll tell you why. Because it's to their end. It's to try to help you understand. There's no difference between men and women. And women are just as tough and strong as men are. And men are just as, should be just as tender and soft and cushy as women are. And so we have guys walking around like this. And let me tell you why we do. Because we're taking away the distinction and the difference. 
Listen to me. There ought to be a difference between men and women. And the truth is the Bible accentuates that difference. It starts from the book of Genesis. And pretty soon in the, in, 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 on Sunday nights here, I'm going to start a series where we're going to deal with those separations, those differences. And we're going to even tell you why you ought to dress different. Simply because there are differences. And you know what? If you don't get it figured out from the Word of God, you won't get it figured out in your life. And your marriage will not be what it ought to be. You've got to get it worked out. Don't take the world's cue. And get in the Word of God who is life. He's life and life breeds life. You want your marriage to be living and vibrant. Then get into God's Word and let Him begin to transform your life and transform your marriage. Let's skip to the last one here. I want you to... See, this is only 20 pages of notes. <laughs> Number two, and lastly, Christ can resurrect a life. Life breeds life. He can resurrect a life. In Ephesians chapter 2, turn there if you would, please. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Or 1, excuse me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says in chapter... 2 verse 1 of Ephesians and you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath even as others but God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved. I want you to notice the word quickened. That word quickened in the passage means to make alive. To make alive. See, according to the Scriptures, all humanity is dead today. They're all dead in trespasses and sins. That's a reality. And that is a reality as a result of the sin of Adam when he openly disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. Ever since his willful disobedience, the souls of every living being has been stained and stung with sin. And the fact is, is that we are incomplete and we, there is a void in our heart and in our life without the Lord. But Christ, He died to pay for our sin on Calvary. But He didn't remain dead. He was buried and rose again the third day. He is alive today. And the fact is, is that He alone can offer us eternal life. We who are dead in our trespasses and sins can be made alive in Christ who Himself is alive. Amen. Life breeds life. You may search the tombs of religious leaders of the past. And in each and every case, you will find dead men's bones or at least the similitude of what remains. You may place your confidence in dead religion... But the fact is, is that all that religion offers you and all that it offers me are rules, regulations, and traditions. It does not offer life. You may depend on the works and the effort that you put forth, but they're dead works. And death cannot breed life.
you'll remain dead in your sins until you come to Christ and obey His living word. John 5, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. In 1 John 5, 11 and 12, For this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You want to be rescued from your sin. You want to be rescued from hell and the consequences of that sin. Then it is a living Savior, and it is the living Word that you need. Christ alone can forgive your sin and Christ alone can save your soul. But you know, not only does Christ want us to have life eternal, but He wants us to have life while we live today. Matter of fact, in 1 John, excuse me, in John 10.10, it says, The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. How's that abundant life? Is it abundant? It says, man, my life is miserable. I'm not talking about is there a tragedy in your life? Is there a heartache because of, of, a, of a, uh, maybe a, um, a doctor's um, words or something? You went in to find out something, you get a result, and you find some bad news. I'm not saying your heart isn't heavy. I'm not saying that you don't have some troubles and trials in your life. I'm saying, though, is life abundant? Is there joy in your heart? Or does your circumstance and your situation continually dictate your attitude and outlook? Christ wants us to experience a piece of heaven on earth. He wants us to experience a state of living well, not just forever living. And you know, so many today, it seems to me at least, in the church are so discouraged. They can be depressed. Uh, they're down and, and they're even dead in their attitude and their outlook. And yet, may I say that Christ offers today so much more than that for us. He offers us life. But that life is not found in a self-help book. It's not found on the internet. It's not found in talking to your buddies and friends. It is found in this blessed living book, the Word of God. It is found in a Savior that lives today and is not dead. You'll never find His bones in the tomb because He rose again. And as a result, He is a living Savior and He is the living Word of God. Amen. You want life today? It's found in Him. Found in Him. Billy Bray, he's one of my favorites. He was a man of great sin. He blasphemed God over and over and over again through his life. He was a drunkard of the worst kind. Did you hear what I said? A drunkard. He wasn't an alcoholic. That's the world's terms for a disease that does not exist. He is a drunkard. He is a man bound by lust and sin. He cannot stop drinking what he chose to drink. Maybe you have a disease today. You went to the doctor and found out that you have this, or you have this, or you have this. Which of you chose to take it? Said, oh, please, there's a bottle of MS. Let me have it. I've got this disease called MS. No, you didn't get that disease by voluntarily taking it. Listen, a disease is something you get. It's genetic or something that comes along in your life. Listen, you, you're not 
I don't care. You go ahead and argue with me all you want. But all I know is I got a Bible that doesn't change. And all I know is a man or a woman that is bound by alcohol is a drunkard in this book. That's the biblical term, and that's exactly what they are then, because God's word is true. Now, I'm not saying some aren't more predispositioned to it. I'm not saying that even. Some families struggle with alcohol. It's probably they, they got oh, we got a gene in our family that makes us more susceptible to alcoholism. Well, don't drink it and you won't get it. I'm not saying that that might not even be the case. I'm just saying that don't drink it. And listen, don't be so stupid. Listen to me now. To hand your kid a beer and let him taste it. Or alcohol and let him taste it. Well, it's real hot outside and it ain't going to hurt my little kid. He's like six years old. Just let him have a little taste of it. You say, that doesn't happen. It happens all the time in Christian homes too. Makes me sick. Let me give you a piece of advice. Don't drink wine at the dinner table. Don't teach your kids that alcohol is okay. Because probably they'll be the one. See what the parents do in moderation, the children will do in excess. Just trying to help you there. Someone says, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. Jesus made wine. and Yeah, okay, just read the rest of the Bible, would you please? Billy Bray was a man like that. He didn't control his alcohol. Alcohol controlled him, and that's exactly what it does according to Ephesians 5. He was a minor. He left his job, and he left his home to live in basically a bar. One night, though, about 3 o'clock in the morning, after he'd just been really convicted about some things, the Holy Spirit had been working in his life, and, man, about 3 o'clock in the morning, Billy Bray woke up. He jumped out of bed. He fell on his knees, and he cried for mercy from the Lord. He later described that particular night and experience by saying this, quote, I said to the Lord, Thou hast said, They that ask receive, and they that knock seek shall find, and they that knock the door shall be opened. And I have faith to believe it. In an instant, the Lord made me so happy that I could not express what I felt. I shouted for joy. I praised God with my whole heart for what he had done from a poor sinner like me. For I could say, the Lord hath pardoned all my sins. His friends, his friends vowed to get him the next payday. They'd get paid and they'd go to the bars. Billy, of course, being one of the worst. They said, we'll get you. You got religion, huh? We'll see. But for 40 years, he was still sober. Bray himself said, praise the Lord. It's now more than 40 years and they've not got me yet. They said I was a madman, but what they meant was I was a glad man. And glory be to God, I've been glad ever since. Even after receiving the news of his soon death, he said, Glory to God, glory to God, I shall soon be in heaven. Then he turned to the doctor and he said, Hey, when I get up there, doc, shall I give them your compliments and tell them that you're coming too? And that's something. Billy found joy and happiness. He found laughter again. He found hope for tomorrow. He didn't find it in a little pamphlet or a self-help book that said, how to win friends and influence people. How to become the man you've always wanted to be. Or how to find joy in ten easy steps. No, he found it in a living book through a living Savior. And today, if you want to find life more abundant as a believer, you will not find it by sleeping in more or going on vacation more often. 
You'll not find it by finding that job that eases your financial burden. You'll not find it by finding the perfect wife or husband or what you conceive or perceive as the finest house or car or property. No, you will only find that more abundant life in the one who lives and his name is Jesus Christ. We're trying to find life in dead things today. But if you want to find life, you're going to have to find it in something, someone living. And that is Jesus Christ. He said, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Only God can revive and resurrect your marriage today. And only God can revive and resurrect your soul and your Christian life. What will you do with Jesus today? Will you receive and accept Him as your Lord and Savior if you haven't? Will you allow Him to be placed at the throne of your life? The helm of your life? Will you stop looking to everyone and every other thing to meet needs in your life? Instead, turn to a living Word and the living Savior today. Say, I don't know what that would mean 100%. Well, trust me, if you make that decision, you come see me. We'll start you out. We'll get you going. Father, we need you.